0: Every day is a brand new adventure, so let's embark on this journey together.
1: City News 570 presents Kitchener Today.
2: We're on already. I think I could get used to this music, Polly. It's <laughs> like that nice pump-up jam. Wow. <laughs> I was feeling a little nervous until the music started. There you go. Now I kind of want to dance. I that newscast was short. It was. I just well, walk, I, Was it, I it had, short though, or are it's just I don't know? Time's just flying by. I, I just seemed I just walked in the room and then I heard Luke.
0: Go, I'm Luke Schultz. City News. What more time is it? <laughs> well, it's time for Kitchener today with producer Pauly and the producers were back. The producers they let us
2: back. Woo! I guess we didn't do that bad. so no. that's awesome.
0: So we have an action-packed mm-hmm. three hours for you this afternoon. It's going to be awesome. So uh, let's let, you know let, let's go over what's going to be on the show. So at two thirty, I'm kind of excited. Okay, so. Mark Walters is going to be here now. Nobody mm. but me knows who this guy. I was going to say
2: I have no idea who he is,
0: but you were super excited for this. He we're going to be talking some travel tips because now that things are opening back up, mm-hmm. you know he, he. Mark Walters is a YouTuber. He does a lot of travel-related videos. He he's traveled all around the world, and we're going to go over a list of. You know, ways not to kind of, you know, get scammed or maybe mm-hmm. get ripped off. And so I watch this guy on YouTube all the time. So I'm really excited that he's going to be on with us.
2: I need to ask him, how do I sign up for his job? Well, <laughs> he, he doesn't get paid to travel
0: he actually he, he has a he, he's a professor, actually, and he travels on the side and saves up money. And he's done videos on on that as well. You know oh, how wow. to save up money so that you can. OK, travel. Hmm. You know, ways that he saves money. He's done that sort of stuff, too. So, yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. How to avoid some travel scams and ripoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's at 2.30. Uh, at 2 p.m., Janet, is it Janet Music? Janet Music. And uh, she is going to be here. Uh, have you noticed
2: that there's no chips at the grocery store? Uh, you, certain grocery stores, yes. There's some that I frequent on a weekly basis because I know things Mm -hmm. will be cheaper, and I've noticed that they're more out of stock of certain things. Um, Yeah. So, yes. Yeah.
0: I haven't noticed it yet. Okay. But now that the story is out there about the the missing potato chips, we're going to get to the (laughs) bottom of that.
2: It's more in uh, your face now that you have to think about it. Yeah. We'll Mm -hmm.
0: get to the bottom of that at 2.30. Where are the potato chips and why... Why aren't they on the store shelves? Mm-hmm. Uh, at one thirty, there's a documentary that is going to be screening next month at Princess Cinemas in Uptown Waterloo, chronicling the history of music mm-hmm. in, in, in our KW. Region. Yeah. And when I first you know, kind of heard this, kind of read the headline, I'm like, oh, let me be talking about some local artists and little mm-hmm. music venues and the, no. Some big names Mm -hmm. played KW back in the 60s and 70s. Names that wouldn't normally have played here, but because the promoters knew what they were doing, they got some big names in. So there's some Mm -hmm. interesting stories.
2: Yeah, and there's actually one that we were talking out in ShareSpace there that you informed me of that I wasn't aware of with the song American Woman. Yeah, the guess who. I mean, maybe I'll ask about that. Maybe I'm getting some of the...
0: The detail's wrong, but uh, the guess who were playing up in Waterloo one night, and uh, I believe the the string on the guitar broke, and they had to tune it right there in front of the audience, and that was the riff that they had come up with to tune the guitar, and the crowd loved it, and they made lyrics. And you know who might actually know this full story is a guy who's on the phone line right now. Okay. Rockin' Ronnie. I know Rockin' Ronnie is a big... Music fan, Ronnie, do you know what I'm talking about? American woman, do you know that story? Uh not the story. I know the song. Right? Yeah. It was. It was. It was created in Waterloo.
3: Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to make a comment. That lead song, you could play that one a few times. I'll tell you. That you like old, <laughs> that? Gets the old blood moving.
0: R- Ronnie <laughs> likes the uh, uh, the dance to the two unlimited.
3: I love it. That is a great song. I love it. <laughs> and by the way, I just wanted to add to that. You guys, yesterday was the first time for you guys on, um, in your new role, I should say. You did a great job.
2: Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, your-
3: you, Ronnie. Give yourselves a pat on the back. All right. I thought you did a great <laughs> job. And uh, right, Mike? Uh, Mike's not around there, but he, he's like, you're hearing me. He's, he's probably listening he's down probably the listening. hallway. Yeah, but no, you did a great job and just keep it going. How long are you going to be on doing that uh, at that time?
0: Well, Brittany and I are on for the rest of the week and we're going to have different co hosts coming in and out for the next uh, couple of months or so. But Brittany and I are here for the rest of the week. Maybe we'll be back at some point,
2: too. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, you know, anything is possible. Yeah, that reminds me of Jeopardy. <laughs> they get rid of the one, guy and then they try. They have tryouts. Eh? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right.
2: Uh, yeah,
0: it's going to be like all. It's, it's going to be like Alex Trebek in Jeopardy. Yeah, well,
3: you know, uh, a bit of uh, variety, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I heard somebody say uh, yesterday too about Britney's laugh. I had said that I think way back when. <laughs> Just keep going,
0: Britney. <laughs> thanks, Ronnie. great. Thanks, Ronnie. <laughs> At uh, one one p.m., Britney, this is something that you were. Very Mm interesting.
2: We're gonna so interesting piece in the conversation. Um, The actual title of the article itself is "Why Defacing the Terry Fox Statue Touched a Nerve with So Many Canadians." Obviously, um, for obvious reason, people were upset about it. But a lot of questions here. You know, some people are saying that it's not actually was it really defacing? You know, is putting a ball cap Mm -hmm. and a flag on the statue. Why did this touch a nerve so much yeah. different so differently than when it happened to other statues? So we're going to explore it all at one o'clock.
0: And at twelve thirty, uh Patrick LeBlanc will be here and uh, we're going to be talking about this this emergency measures act mm-hmm. and specifically the targeting of the financial funds that have come in, you know, through uh, you know, the online donations and the seizing of bank accounts. How, how, this seems unprecedented
4: mm-hmm.
0: in Canadian history, so we're going to be talking about how that occurred. Mm-hmm. So all of that coming up, um, let's talk about some of the special days, and then you have a little phone yeah. contest thing that you want to do with the listener. So today
2: is Play Tennis Day. Okay. So... I- I mean, I don't know that I want to play tennis today. Not Look at today. it out there. Not in February. In the snow? No. Indoor tennis, maybe? Yeah. I've never played tennis. So, I've heard it's a little difficult. I have.
0: I grew up, um, our neighborhood had like a little community pool with a tennis court, so I played a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I've never been that interested in tennis, except a couple of years ago. Remember um, that lady, the Canadian, what was her name? Oh, Bianca,
2: Bianca Andrescu. Yeah. Right. I beefed
0: up on my tennis knowledge for that week, and I watched some of those matches. It was actually interesting. Yeah. So maybe I'll start watching tennis. I just have to remember the rules now. <laughs> so yesterday was International Walk the Dog Day. Mm-hmm. What do you do after you get the, home, the, 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 the uh, dog back home? What do you do? Um, what is- uh, feed the dog? Very close. Today okay. is International Dog Biscuit Appreciation Day.
2: Oh, dog! <laughs> so biscuit. you appreciate your favorite dog biscuit, right? By, or, or or your dog favorite your
0: dog by giving him a biscuit. <laughs> International Dog <laughs> Biscuit Appreciation Day is the day for the dogs, and because there is no one else who can really appreciate the too, true value of a dog biscuit. They say every dog has its day and this is definitely his day. Aww. So International Dog <laughs> Biscuit Day.
2: <laughs> I feel like that's every day in my house Bear gets an, an unlimited amount of treats and dog biscuits.
0: Today is National Banana Bread Day.
2: Oh. Okay.
0: yeah. There's nothing I like, like a banana good, bread. There's nothing like a good piece of banana bread. Yeah. So I actually
2: have some banana, banana frozen bananas in my freezer so maybe I should give that a whirl. Yeah,
0: so that that sounds
2: very appealing. Oh, my gosh, Polly. Hey, I'm here all
0: week. <laughs> and then today, now, Brittany, I, you first mentioned this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Today is apparently ja- Jamaican Patty Day. Yes. Uh, I feel like I've been training my whole life for this. Now, here's the thing. I don't think I've ever had one. What? Now, they look good. I've, I've seen pictures. I've seen, you know, in the grocery store Pauly- or whatever. I don't think I've ever had one.
2: How have you never had a Jamaican patty? I don't know. So what's in it? Is it hamburger? So, okay, you can put... uh, I don't actually know, to be quite honest. It is some form of like uh, ground beef. I I think it's a bunch of different uh, meat chopped up and then also a bunch of different spices thrown Uh in there, but... They're freaking delicious. It doesn't yeah. even matter what's in there. They're so good. Our, um, our boss, James,
0: was telling me earlier today that, you know, because, you know— down in Jamaica, things are a lot spicier generally than they are here. Mm-hmm. So if you order one that you think, oh, it's not going to be too spicy. I can handle it. It's a lot spicier than you think it is. <laughs> so
2: where
0: where would you get one? Obvi- I mean, I've seen them at the grocery store. You can heat them up in the microwave or whatever. But I'm guessing like a lot of food items, it's best fresh. Where do mm, I get one?
2: I Okay, I honestly don't know in the region. I know there's a few places that do... I but I've never tried a homemade one. I've only ever had the frozen okay. ones. So maybe technically I haven't tried a Jamaican patty yeah. either. I've only ever had the frozen ones. So the next time I
0: I see one for sale at a you know a deli or wherever they sell them, maybe I'll try it they yeah I said, and pick up the whole look, box
2: and bring them in. Yeah,
0: they look good. They really <laughs> look good. I just I, for whatever reason I've always gone for a
2: different menu item. Well, when I have it with the once, choice. once you try it, Polly, I know that your world will be changed because they are delicious. I'm going to give it a shot. Now, you wanted to do something yeah. a little. What are you calling it? Let's. We're going to try something a little different. So, it's a new segment we're going to introduce called the Not So Impossible Question. This idea came from a friend. I'm not going to mention the name, but thank you, friend. Um, where we ask a question. And along with the callers, Polly, you have to guess, okay, Mm -hmm. what you think the answer is. And believe it or not, the answer is actually easier than you think. So, hence the name, the not-so-impossible question. So, do we want to throw out the question and then throw to a break?
0: Yeah. And see if we can get some callers on the other side who maybe they can guess what the answer is.
2: Yes. Okay. So, today's question is, one out of three smartphone users have never done this before. What is it? One in three smartphone users. One out of three smartphone users have never done this before. Have never done this. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have an idea. Okay, hold on to it. Yes. We'll do it after the break. Give us a call, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, or star 570 from your cell phones.
0: All right, this is Kitchener Today with the producers, Polly and Brittany. The producers in once again on Kitchener Today from noon till 3 here on City News 570. We've got a little game that Brittany has come up with and it seems to have lit, lit up the phones. So, Brittany, what is that question? And then we'll go to the phones to see if we can get somebody to. There's no prize, by the way. This is just for fun, just
2: bragging rights. Yeah. So the question is: One out of three smartphone users have never done this before. What is it?
0: All right, to the phones, Kyle. Do you know the answer?
5: I'm going to try. Never have they upgraded their smartphone, like as in terms of like you know plugging it in or like asking for an upgrade like on an apple or whatever so right. i right with that answer yep
2: good guess but it's the wrong answer kyle it's thank wrong. you for playing though all <laughs> right call back if you I have another one paul hey paulie hi Brittany. how's it
6: going
2: good how are you
6: really good i don't care i'm, I'm going to answer the contest because i know the answer <laughs> but i just wanted to say that any contest at all would have got the phones to light up
7: because everyone wants to call you and say we love
2: you guys. Aw. Oh. <laughs> Thank you.
0: That's all you wanted to say, Paul?
7: No. Oh. The okay. okay,
0: what do you think the and answer
2: is?
7: One out of three smartphone users never have they ever taken a selfie.
2: No. Ah. Good answer. Oh, okay. But no, oh, that isn't. Right. Okay. That's
0: neither one of those answers were what I was thinking. Let's see <laughs> let's see if Rob knows the answer. Rob, go ahead.
8: Hey, so I think the answer is that no one in three people have never turned their phone
2: off. No, but that's interesting.
8: Like I, I can think of maybe over the past year, I've turned my phone off once.
2: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's something we we don't do. But that's not the answer for this I, question. I turn my
0: phone off every day just to to reboot it every morning, and you know if I'm. Going to be using some apps or something. Sometimes, if I forget to turn my phone really? on, just reset it, mm-hmm. maybe the apps might I, not work properly.
2: I couldn't so. tell you the last time I turned my phone off.
0: All right. <laughs> We've still got this question out here. Let's see if Lorraine knows the answer. Lorraine. Oh, that they've
9: never used email? No. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, <right>.
0: Lorraine. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, one in three. One One out of three smartphone users have never done this before. What is it?
0: All right. Chris, do you know the answer? Uh, They've never cleaned
2: it. That's a very good point, Chris. I can't say I've ever done that either, but unfortunately, that is not the answer. All right. Try back again.
0: (laughs) None of these are my answer. This is interesting. (laughs) Greg, go ahead.
10: Uh, How about change the battery?
2: Well, Greg, what kind of phone do you have that you have to change the battery?
10: I have a Samsung, and it was a hand-me-down, and the oh, battery that it okay, was hand-me-down okay. with is still going, so I've got to change it. So <laughs> I'm not a real phone whiz, so I'm not sure how long it's going to go before I have to.
2: <laughs> okay, well, unfortunately, I'm sorry that's not the answer. <laughs> yeah, that, well, it's see, a lot of the, the newer
0: phones, you can't even no, change no, the battery. No, no, they're just, just a charging cord. Yeah, and it's... If you do have to get a new battery, you've you've got to take it to one of the specialty places and they open it back up and Mm -hmm. they can replace the battery. But it's Mm -hmm. not like the old BlackBerry I used to have where I could could literally take the battery out if I wanted. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Susan, do you know the
2: answer? Well, I think it might be use their flashlight. Good guess, Susan. But no, that's not the answer. Okay, <laughs> okay well, the, the, the good guess though. I like keep all thinking. Of the, keep thinking. Like it's a lot guesses. easier
0: than you think. All right, I have a Kyle on the line. I bet you it's the same one.
2: Okay, Kyle, are you
0: back? I'm here. Oh, it's a different Kyle. Oh, wrong Kyle. Oh, but we, it's a different Kyle than the one who normally calls us. So that's <laughs> I was a little thrown off by that. But you're on the air. What do you think the answer is? One of them has never had sex. What? Well, uh, uh, okay, the question was,
2: (laughs) one in three people have never done this with their cell phone. With their smartphone. One out of three smartphone users have never done this before. What is it? Think about it. You're so used to using your smartphone, you've never done this.
0: But it's something with your cell phone.
2: Um... (laughs) I can't, I can't oh, give too much. So I can't give too much, Polly. So maybe that
0: previous answer might have worked. Okay. <laughs> Claude, go ahead. They've never cleaned it.
2: No, Claude, I'm sorry. That's not the answer. All right. Let's try it again. We've got a few minutes left here.
0: Brittany, what's the question? I keep wording it incorrectly.
2: <laughs> One out of three smartphone users have never done this before. What is it? All right. Doug, do you know the answer?
0: It's obvious. Made a phone call. (laughs) Well, that's a good guess, right?
2: Because
0: you hardly even make calls anymore because you can do so many other things with it. Is Mm -hmm. it Brittany?
2: No, I'm sorry. That's not the answer, Doug. Ah, boo. (laughs) (laughs) All right,
0: let's keep moving. Carol, do you know the answer?
2: I think so. They've never used a rotary dial. Oh. That's you know what you're starting to go along the right lines there, Carol. But that is not the answer.
0: Maybe a phone booth. <laughs> is it phone booth? It's not a phone. It's not booth, a no. phone booth. Okay, we got calls are still rolling in. We got two minutes, Dave. Do you know the answer?
8: Never made a call with it.
2: No, Dave. Good guess, but that is not the answer. All right, let's uh, move on. Rebecca, um,
1: is it that they've never used a computer before?
0: No. Oh, hmm. Thanks, right. Rebecca. Okay, let's try one more on this. Maybe we'll do this later on in the <laughs> show because you said you had two or three different. Yeah, I have a there. few more questions. This is fun. <laughs> All right, last call on this, and then we'll get the answer. Mm-hmm. Paul, do you know the answer?
8: Hey, Paulie and
11: Brittany,
7: it's Paul again. Yeah. I have a rotary phone in my basement, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm betting that. They have these smart- smartphone people have never used a rotary phone
2: or a payphone. I mean, you're along the right lines, but it is not a rotary phone.
0: Does the rotary phone still work, Paul? Like, it it, does the infrastructure is still in place for it to work? Yes. Wow, I've, I've, I've wondered that. It's been years since I've used a rotary phone. Okay, my guess was, and I think I'm wrong based on mm-hmm. you know the guesses and no's of the of the answers. My guess was scan a QR code.
2: No. <laughs> right. Polly, that's what everybody does these well, days with their smartphone.
0: This is embarrassing. I didn't know how to scan a QR code until the pandemic. Oh, and wow. then all the menus and all the restaurants became digital. Yeah. I had never scanned a QR code prior to the pandemic. Oh, awesome. All um, right. What is
2: the answer? All right. The answer is used a paper map. Re- all right. Because we all using Google use, Maps. Yeah. You would use Google Maps or Waze or. Any other place to get your road Yes.
0: <laughs> it's, it's been years since I've used a paper map, mm-hmm. but th- that's a good one. Maybe we'll do the phone lines are still going crazy. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another one later on uh, in the show, but we have lots coming up and we've got the news coming up. And then right after that, we're going to be talking about how authorities are targeting the Freedom Convoy money via that Federal Emergencies Act. That's coming up next. This is Kitchener Today with the producers, Pauly and Brittany, on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. The producers, Pauly and Brittany, in with you from noon till 3 this week. Well, one of the most controversial aspects of the Emergency Measures Act being invoked Last week by the federal government is the seizing of funds, seizing of funds rather, and even bank accounts for those who have participated in the protests. Now, Patrick LeBlanc has written an article about this in The Conversation and joins us now for further discussion. Patrick, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Now, I didn't know this until I read the article but there there were actually two portions of the emergency act invoked last week. Yes.
7: So yeah. so,
0: so, so yes. So so tell us about those.
7: Well, so the, 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 the act was invoked but the, the way that it, it actually legally gets invoked is through uh, two orders if you want, or one regulation, one right. order that were published in the Gazette of uh, the Gazette of Canada. Uh, until then uh, you know that 's really when uh, the the powers were given to law enforcement to to act so one concerns um, kind of the the more general let 's say law enforcement if you want uh, and and defines i guess uh, more broadly the uh the, the reasons and the limits uh imposed uh, on uh, the Emergencies Act in, in in terms of for instance uh the regula- the, the first re- emergency uh, measures regulation which talks about uh the, the sort of parliamentary precinct and uh, critical infrastructure so it 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 kind of scopes um the the invocation of the measures and 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 where in a way the threats lie and where in a way the law enforcement can can respond. The other one is is the so called uh emergency economic measures order, which really is focused on the money uh and and allows um law enforcement to um basically freeze bank accounts. Uh, to uh, have uh, crowdfunding platforms report uh, suspicious activity, as it's called in in the lingo. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically uh, funding that that was meant uh, for the the convoy and the occupation in Ottawa. Uh, It removes uh, civil liability uh, against the banks for freezing accounts. So in a way, if the banks follow what the RCMP tells them, or even on their own uh, volition if they feel that you know, they've clearly identified someone who was closely involved with uh, the, or was closely involved with the occupation? Then uh, they could uh, freeze that person's bank account without, you know, uh, that person suing the bank for for doing so. So that's what the the second uh, economic measures, emergency economic measures order, does. So they kind of separated the economic ones from the more general ones about threats to to um, critical infrastructure, like the Ambassador Bridge, for instance, or uh, the occupation in Ottawa. Uh, Uh,
0: downtown now uh, prior to the emergencies act because the emergency act allowed you know crowdfunding services to you know you know have that money seized but prior to the emergency act it would have been up to the crowdfunding services to make a determination for themselves whether or not uh, a cause was just or not is that right but the emergency act changes that
7: yeah so I mean, crowdfunding platforms were not regulated by, uh, what is it, the Proceeds of Crime and Terrorism Financing Act, which is the act that creates or created FinTrack, which is the agency... Uh, of the canadian the federal government that is responsible for analyzing anything that has to do with money laundering with uh, terrorism financing and then passing on uh, that information to law enforcement namely the rcmp which then is responsible for kind of pursuing that uh, following the money if you want and 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 freezing accounts if necessary Fintrack is not the agency that does that it doesn't have any law enforcement powers so Crowdfunding platforms did not have to report to Fintrack in any way; they they were not regulated. However, uh, any payment uh, processor, so uh, you know if it went through banks or if it went to PayPal or, or anything like that, they they had to report to to Fintrack. So in a way, they were covered, but not the crowdfunding platforms per se. Uh, the Emergencies Act, um, its invocation, yes, now f- kind of forces crowdfunding platform to report to FinTrack, and then uh, it allows, obviously, the uh, RCMP to say, okay, you have uh, millions of dollars, um, you've collected millions of dollars of of donations, which are supposed to be given to uh, convoy organizers. Now you cannot give out uh, that money. Uh, Before that, uh, before the Emergencies Act's invocation, uh, that was not possible to do so. So only on their own volition. So GoFundMe, which was the original cl- crowdfunding platform, uh, when it, it kind of realized what the money was being used for—not just the protest, but uh, an occupation in in Ottawa—it decided to actually no longer disperse the funds that it collected and, and give them and give them back to uh, to donors. And then they moved to another crowdfunding platform. Gives and go. Um, And and that one has has not complied so far, as far as we know, with uh, requirements from uh, law enforcement in Canada and also injunctions from uh, uh, class action lawsuits, which may want to kind of get access to those funds in order to reimburse or compensate. Uh, residents and especially businesses uh, in downtown Ottawa, which uh, have suffered because of the occupation. As we know, the Rideau Centre in Ottawa, the main uh, commercial centre, has been closed for three weeks and at and a cost of more than $40 million. So they're hoping that maybe those funds could be used for uh, compensation for, for business losses.
0: Now GoFundMe and Give, Send, Go are both based in the United States. So prior to the Emergencies Act, they technically wouldn't have had to have complied with a Canadian court order, but do they have to under the Emergency Act?
7: Well, that, you know that's the the big question. I mean, the 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 Emerge- the Emergencies Act uh, and the orders that 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 follow uh, apply within Canada, right? Uh, so then, how much? Uh, obviously, uh, any activities that they have in uh, Canada is is subject to Canadian law uh now the, the the big question is what happens if they don't comply so we go go fund, go, uh, go fund goes and said okay fine you know uh we're, we're not dealing with that give send, go as so far said you know what we're in the US we're not bound by any of this we don't care uh now how this compliance will work uh is is a little bit beyond my own uh knowledge i'm not a lawyer by training so um i guess there there might be means um Whereby Canadian law can can reach uh, obviously into donations by Canadian uh, residents uh, in the U.S., but I, I would assume that they would probably need the support of, of U.S. courts uh, in order to do that. But beyond that, I, I don't have enough information. But it's it's a little bit of a, a gray area, and 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 it's not immediate. That's for sure. Now, afterwards, the big problem is how does give send go give the money to the occupiers because. Uh, if their uh, bank, bank accounts or any financial accounts that they have are frozen, then, you know, give Senghuk and say, we're not complying, but where is the money going to go if no one is there to actually receive it and turn it into uh, cash or, 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 you know, ability to, to pay. Uh, so so that's, that's where, in a way, the, uh, the Emergencies Act has, has managed to, to be effective uh, in terms of allowing the freezing of, of bank account of the bank accounts or financial accounts of the organizers, so that they couldn't have any money sent to them, or if they had money sent to them, they couldn't access it.
0: Now you mentioned Fintrack. Do you what exactly do they do? I have never heard of them prior to to this week.
7: <laughs> well, because they're they're not in in the public eye, right? Fintrack is um, basically the the, the the financial transactions analysis center uh so it's it's not it helps law enforcement but it's not a law enforcement agency uh, and this is it collects information basically so all the financial institutions um, so banks insurance companies uh in, in you know investment uh, brokers uh anyone that handles money in Canada technically uh reports to fintrack so and and, and 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 the focus is to the the, the, the these institutions and includes notaries, lawyers, accountants. Um, so if, if if they become aware of uh, money laundering, uh, so or or money that could be used for terrorism, they have to um, send Fintrack that information. Then Fintrack analyzes it to see, okay, is is this true, right? Because you don't want to send the police chasing after things that that. May not be true or may not be worthwhile. So Fintrack obviously has, has developed uh, expertise uh, and, and has you know huge databases. They can cross-reference things and they can say, okay, yes, this this is something important. And then they pass on this information, let's say to the RCMP, and saying, well, we have become aware of this. Uh, this, this looks suspicious to us. Here's kind of the, 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 all the information that we have on this. You might want to look into it. And, and obviously the RCMP often uses that to, tra- to trace back uh, criminal activity, uh, especially uh, money laundering, but also uh, terrorism financing, uh, so terrorist groups that, that seek uh, terrorism, uh, sorry, that seek financing. Uh, they, you know, n- technically, there, the no financial institution is supposed to serve them if they've been identified as terror terrorist groups. So all these things, Fintrack kind of collects, analyzes, and then, um, you know, the RCMP or other law enforcement bodies will will follow up and 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 try to to stop a- any criminal activity that that follows from uh, from those funds.
0: So I guess, I guess Fintrack is now involved because I guess under the Emergencies Act, the this protest in ottawa is might be considered in the same category as terrorism
7: yes in 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 a way it hasn't been defined as such but for all intents and purposes at least my the way i see it is that the uh, the the convoy if you want and all its activities have been sort of akin or associated uh, to to terrorism and, and 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 as a result of that um, you know the the any so crowdfunding platforms, financial institutions, anyone who suspects funds being associated with convoy activity, they have to report that information to Fintrack, which then will analyze it and pass it on to the RCMP. Then the RCMP can say, okay, yes, based on that information which has been checked by Fintrack and all that, we will you know we will request that um, you know it could be crypto exchanges, it could be bank accounts be frozen. Not necessarily that the money is seized. It's not taken away from people, but it's temporarily frozen uh, for the emergency actuation, which is now 30 days. And then afterwards, accounts could be unfrozen. In other cases, if there are uh, court actions like class action lawsuits, then the money might be frozen for a little bit longer. And then the court will decide what happens with those funds, uh, especially the ones with uh, crowdfunding platforms. Uh, but that's not the RCMP kind of just taking the money and, and running away with it. Absolutely not. And and people always have the recourse of of you know suing the government and the RCMP and saying, hey, you took my money, uh, or or you froze my, my my bank account, and 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 you should not have. Um, so there are kind of legal recourses um, that uh, the Emergencies Act allows uh, in, in in this case. But yes. The convoy is sort of now considered something like a terrorism uh, or uh, organization, if you want, uh, for this emergency only
0: so what happens ultimately to these funds that have been frozen? Is there any hope that maybe the the money will be returned to the original place at some point, or is this money going to be uh, used possibly to you know like like prisons pay the the Ottawa police force? For uh, no, uh, no know, not at like all that.
7: so so the, the 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 funds are frozen, and in fact the RCMP has already announced that some of the the frozen accounts have been unfrozen, uh, so they were frozen basically for to to stop the occupation in ottawa uh, for for, uh, for the most part, and then you know once the people kind of left or have been arrested, those funds um, mm. will have or will be uh, unfrozen there's no reason to keep them frozen the idea Really, the, the idea of freezing bank accounts or threatening too was to to deter people from uh, coming to Ottawa to support the occupation, and at the same time put pressure on those who were already there to leave before police went in. Uh, so, and the hope was that at the end, most people would have left, and maybe only a hardcore of people would be left, which would make um, you know police work easier, and 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 hopefully uh prevent any um any kind of uh severe violence being used to uh to disrupt the uh, the occupation in ottawa that was really the intent of that the intent is certainly not to seize the funds to give it back to police or to the government not at all as i said earlier the only funds that could be seized is because of class action lawsuits which have been launched uh, by uh, residents in, in, in Ottawa uh, who have obviously suffered tremendously as a, uh, as a result of, of the occupation. businesses that have you know lost business had to close um, because you know they, they could not conduct, serve, conduct their, their businesses or activities. Um, so there is this class action lawsuit which you know if, right now there is an injunction to keep those funds kind of in trust if you want, fro- mm. frozen until the courts decide whether um the, uh, the 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 lawsuit is is justified and whether those funds and then also the amounts uh can be uh, given in compensation to to residents and businesses that's the only case and, and in this case it would target donations not people's bank accounts so they're not going after the organizers money as kind of punishment it's really to say hey you you were given funds to to do this occupation or do those blockades or whatever they have really hurt people and businesses we want compensation um and and instead of those the donations going to the the convoy which is now technically legal we want those funds to to come to residents. and and those and that the courts will decide if the courts decide that the this is this is not a valid class action lawsuit or that the, the the total fund sums uh, for compensation are much less than uh, what the the crowdfunding platforms have accumulated, then presumably the, the the remaining sums or all the sums would be given back to the donors
0: now this vote it was approved by the um, by the House on the weekend. The Senate is currently debating it, and that vote literally could happen at any moment. Uh, what happens if the Senate does turn this down? Does, does does that money get unfrozen?
7: Well, if 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 I mean again, um, I'm not an expert on on the legal uh, ramifications of of the the, the the parliamentary vote. But if the Senate does votes against the um, uh, the Emergencies Act or so, uh, invocation then uh the whole thing stops and uh yes automatically all accounts would be unfrozen uh so everyone's financial accounts would be unfrozen and then uh, whatever donations are currently on hold with crowdfunding platforms then it will be up to those those platforms to decide how to what to do with the money do they want to send it back to the donors do they want to give it to the organizers? Uh, that 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 will be up to them uh, to decide, and they might actually give a choice to um, the uh, the donors like what do you want to do with the money now? You want it mm-hmm. back or you want it to go to this organization or maybe some other um, activity who, who knows so that that's I think what what would happen if the Senate votes against it.
0: Does this apply to Bitcoin like other or other cryptocurrencies? In, well
7: the 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 general regulations on on money laundering and and uh terrorism financing apply to cryptocurrencies and bitcoins already that the law has been amended uh so the proceeds of crime and terrorism financing um has been uh has already been amended to take into account uh digital currencies uh so they are covered for money laundering and and and, and terrorism financing however obviously they were not covered for the convoy, right, for the Freedom Convoy's activities. Uh, and that's where the Emergencies Act uh, and, and the Emergency Economic uh, Measures Order uh, specifically mentions that those are... Any, any cryptocurrency that was meant or collected for the convoy um, also would be uh, frozen uh, for the duration of, of the Emergencies Act. So, so they, they kind of fall. But in normal circumstances... Uh, yes, um, you know, uh, currency, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges are supposed to report any uh, suspicious activity to, to FinTrack. And, and then, you know, law enforcement is supposed to, to follow up.
0: All right, Patrick, thank you very much for your time today. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Patrick Leblanc is Chair on Business and Public Policy at the University of Ottawa, and he co-authored an article that appeared recently in The Conversation, theconversation.com. Great site, Lots of great commentary on there about how authorities are targeting the Freedom Convoy money via the Emergencies Act. John Doe, you're on the air. How are you doing? Good. What are your thoughts? Yes.
10: Question for you: why, why is it that they uh, they're trying to block this money again? Uh, just brief version of it. Why why do they why do they insist that they're blocking this money?
0: Because under the um, emergency act that was declared, the trucker convoy or the protest may be considered a terrorist organization. I don't agree with that, but that's the claim that's being made. And so under the emergency act, they can seize money and uh, you you can't donate to a a terrorist organization.
10: Now they're they're claiming that this money is coming from outside of Canada. Is that correct?
0: Uh, some of it definitely would be. That's that's what I've heard. I know. Uh, I think most of the donations are w- from within Canada, but some of it is outside. Yeah, I don't doubt but it.
10: The big big thing is they're saying that this is uh, you know funding terrorism from outside of Canada. So where would that put lead now?
0: I don't know. I mean, I I, I know where you're going with this, Paul. Uh, uh, lead, lead now gets. Or, uh, donations from you know yeah, out, there, out of the country a as well
10: advertiser that concentrates on uh, disrupting elections in other countries with the aim of uh, any uh, destroying any conservative uh, held writings and trying to switch them either uh, liberal or NDP now, liberals rely on lead now in order for uh, their uh, all this third party advertising which isn't subject to to Canadian election laws until a writ is dropped.
0: Yeah. I think the difference is I guess it's a difference between financing an election from out of the country and maybe a protest or something, right? Because I, I think that might be uh, the difference here. We are up against a break. We've got a couple of calls. We'll try to get to them after the break. This is Kitchener Today with the producers, Paulie and Brittany, on City News 570. Time is our enemy. We got like 45 seconds. Robert, go ahead.
12: We're going to fly through this quickly, Pauly. Great job, by the way, to you and Brittany. Thanks. Ed, remember something. The Emergency Services Act was supposed to be put in when times of threatened sovereignty. Never at any time did these people threaten the sovereignty of these country. And remember something. We've taken a 20% hit worldwide for the next 10 years minimum on Canadian banking because when people give money out to a dissenting opinion, and suddenly the dissenting opinion turns around and says, nah, you can't have that dissenting opinion, and we're going to take your money? Absolutely disgusting for us as Canadians to be sitting here even debating this.
0: Yeah, the the seizing of the the bank accounts particularly to me was the most shocking part of this, and, and I can't believe it's happening in some ways. We're going to go to the news with Paul McPhee, and coming up, Right after the news, why the defacing, as some people are calling it, the Terry Fox statue, has touched a nerve. We're going to be talking about that coming up. This is Kitchener Today with the producers, Paulie and Brittany, on City News 570.
2: Well, one of the first things you'll remember happening when the convoy first moved into Ottawa was that the Terry Fox statue, rather, sorry, um, was draped with a Canadian flag and had a hat put on it along with um, a, f- a sign that read, Mandate Freedom. Writing in the conversation, Grace McNutt, a PhD student uh, or candidate in history at Dalhousie University, says, asks the question, why defacing the Terry Fox statue touched a nerve with so many Canadians? Grace, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's start there. Why was this a nerve that touched um, on so many people, or why was it so triggering for people?
9: I think that largely has to do with who Terry Fox was and what he stood for. I probably don't have to tell you much about Terry Fox's legacy. He's pretty well known across Canada, but in his lifetime, he was deeply passionate about the value of scientific research, especially cancer research. And so when people saw uh, an anti-vaccine mandate rally being attributed to Terry Fox's image, I think that shocked a lot of people. Uh, And furthermore, we're not used to Terry Fox's legacy being politicized very much. His his image isn't really leveraged for politics frequently in this country. So by politicizing Terry Fox in any way, uh, I think many Canadians were shocked by that.
2: Yeah. Now, some would actually say that, um, you know, or don't feel that, you know, putting a flag around the shoulders of the statue or putting a hat on its, on his head was actually, should actually be considered defacing. What are your thoughts on that?
9: Yeah, I think that just stems from a a misunderstanding of what the word deface means. So if if you just look at the word deface and what it's defined as, it simply means to spoil the appearance of something. So it doesn't necessarily refer to the actual face, uh, nor does spoiling need to be permanent. So if it means putting a hat on a statue or, or wedging a political sign in its arms, and that spoils the appearance for people, then you can characterize that as defacing.
2: Would you say, um, because some are saying, are calling it vandalism, would you say that that's a bit of a stretch, or?
9: Um, I, I mean, it's not necessarily my opinion of what vandalism is, per se, um, but I would certainly attribute the word defacing to it when we look at how defacing is is used when it
2: comes to commemoration. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think defacing the Terry Fox statue differs from from previous statues that we've seen defaced?
9: Yeah, over the last year or two, we've seen a lot of statues defaced, vandalized, torn down. Um, and in some ways, the act of defacing it itself wasn't all that different. We've seen similar protests take place with statues, but I think the reaction from people was very different. So, for instance, statues of Sir John A. Macdonald. Um, In protest of residential schools, you've seen a lot of his statues defaced. And the responses were very wide-ranging, from very much in support to very much opposed. When you look at the Terry Fox statue, I think the response was overwhelmingly negative. Certainly there was a range of responses, but overwhelmingly it was negative. And that's really what sparked my interest, because when we look at the defacing of statues, often the critics of those defacings will say that we can't deface the statue of someone like Sir Johnny McDonald, regardless of how you feel about him as a person, because it could be a slippery slope to all statues being defaced. Meaning, you know, any statue, regardless of their message, could be targeted in a similar way. And of course, common sense would tell you that that's not going to happen to every statue. Not every statue will come down. But the Terry Fox incident was interesting because we actually saw it demonstrated in real time that Canadians are still passionate about statues. There are still statues and legacies of people that they want to defend and they don't want politicized.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this is something um, that's been at at the forefront in in recent history, the defacing of statues, especially, you know, um, after things uh like the Black Lives Matter movement and um, Every Child Matters. But it actually, the defacing of statues actually goes back further, I understand, from reading your article.
9: Oh, absolutely. Um, You see defacing of statues throughout history, all the way back to ancient history with Romans, Greeks, Egyptians. Um, And I think partly that and also, you know, how defacing of statues is used in pop culture, like film, for instance, you know, the toppling of statues is this big symbolic end of civilization act. And I think that's part of the reason why people respond so um, vehemently when they see statues torn down. They get worried that what does this symbolize in a bigger way? But in some ways, we've been doing this since the dawn of statues themselves.
2: Mm -hmm. So should we just remove statues altogether to avoid this kind of reaction?
9: Certainly not. I, I think that people are, you know, able to have conversations about statues, even if maybe on the surface it seems like a very polarizing topic. And statues like Terry's in Ottawa prove that We still find meaning and power in statues, and they help us define what it means to be Canadian. I think what we should be prepared for is that some statues may come down, and we should be open to having a dialogue about that without feeling like those new perspectives that could reinterpret those statues are meant as threatening. Um, I think that if we have a dialogue around these statues, we can... Build a system of commemoration that represents everyone.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, some people, you know, they say if you remove a statue, you're erasing history, or, or you're at least trying to erase history. What are your thoughts on that?
4: I
9: think that statues, in general, it's not a it's not great to think about them as history in themselves. They're they're far more like heritage, uh, and what I mean by that is that you know. Statues on their own don't do a very good job of interpreting the past in general. I mean, they're, they're very passive objects. So if you walk by a statue and you don't read the plaque, you really don't learn that much. You just see a statue of a person and you may not even know what their name is or, or why the statue is there in the first place. And heritage, its aim is not necessarily to educate uh, an even history or an even story about the past. They're there to evoke some sort of emotional, nostalgic response about the past, a part of the past we want reflected in the present. Um, and that it certainly has its place, and it's certainly valuable, like you can see with the Terry Fox statue. But there are some statues that represent certain parts of our past that we no longer want to be celebrated and held up literally on a pedestal in the present.
2: Grace, thank you so much for your time today.
9: Thank you so much for having
2: me. Awesome. That was uh, Grace McNutt, a PhD candidate in history at Dalhousie University, writing in the conversation, why defacing the Terry Fox statue touched a nerve with so many Canadians.
0: Ah, all right. That, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Want to take some calls? Yeah, let's take some all calls. All right. We got John on the line. John, go ahead.
13: Hey, this is the first opportunity you both have had to interview or talk to me. You're welcome. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's an honor, John. It's an honor. Yeah, that's true. I used to torment the previous guy and, and the morning guy, too. Um, so I, I, I'm going to change the metrics of this a little bit. Um, so there was many pictures of um, the gay pride people putting up banners on that. And by the way, my nephew's gay, so it's not that angle nor do I necessarily support the protesters. But it's just how it's used sometimes to be, this is offensive to some people, and yet other times something else is not offensive, the same thing being defaced. So what's the metrics? And when we use things to illustrate what? So that, we gotta be careful we really overreact to these things so that we don't further divide. And, and I don't approve of it, don't get me wrong, but why have one okay and not the other. So what's the issue at stake?
0: Yeah, John, I I think I I think I know the photo that after the, you know, the Terry Fox statue thing occurred up in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago, there was a picture that was making the rounds. I I, I don't know when it was taken, but it was I might have been a political candidate or something who, you know, championed LGBTQ issues and put a rainbow flag on Terry Fox. And so is that politicizing? Right? And so if you're, if you're upset about one, are you upset about the other? It's interesting.
4: Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to say, Brittany? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, if you want to take some calls on this, we can. The phone lines are ringing now at 519 570 2545, out of town 1 800 570 5715, and star 570. Hands free. You can also email me as well, Paul H at 570news.com. We're going to take a break, come back with a couple of calls perhaps. This is City News 570. The producer's in on Kitchener today.
9: In his lifetime, he was deeply passionate about the value of scientific research, especially cancer research. And so when people saw uh, an anti-vaccine mandate rally being attributed to Cherry Fox's image, I think that shocked a lot of people. Uh, and furthermore... We're not used to Terry Fox's legacy being politicized very much. His his image isn't really leveraged for politics.
0: Grace McNutt, PhD candidate in history at Dalhousie University. It's not Dalhousie. I think we've had that discussion on the show before. uh, But why the defacing, I say that in air quotes, of the Terry Fox statue as we saw it in Ottawa a few weeks ago, the first weekend of the uh, the protest, why that touched a nerve with so many people. Rush, go ahead.
14: Uh, thanks, guys. Good afternoon. Um, just want to say quickly, it's been a pleasure listening to you. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I want to kind of pull on the thread that your, your first caller um, put out there, which is that, you know, the treatment of this, um, and I appreciate you, you saying defacement in air quotes, I... Um, the treatment that this is getting versus the last, and I think it, it sort of the, uh, meaning the the when the uh, rainbow flag was put on, and I think it sort of brings brings to a point that the there are tools out there or methods of attack that are being that are that are only used in one direction. Um, this is one example of it. The other example is the the doxing of all the people who donated to the convoy like the left has has for a while said that you know twitter has every right and facebook has every right to take down any information posted about people who were protesting in the blm thing or the antifa stuff take all that stuff down it's not appropriate to publicly dox someone um for that and then here we go and we we like it's published everywhere this list of all these people who donated to the to the trucker convoy. The same thing here with the with the statue. And there are other examples of it that that you know. It's like the left wants to use this tool only when it suits them. But if the tool could be wielded by others against them, it's like oh no, that's not appropriate. You can't do that. And I just feel it. It, it really feels like it's an impart. It's a not um a not balanced uh playing field um for, for engaging in, in things. Um yeah, that's my point. All right.
0: Yeah, it's and for for those who might not be aware, I just found out about this last night. There's a I I I guess somebody broke into the uh was it the what's what's the second site? The uh, give send go? like, so remember, they were, okay, they yeah. were doing GoFundMe yep. and then there was GiveSendGo Give, Send, go, yep. and that was hacked a couple of weeks ago and there is a Google map circulating and somebody has taken all of the people who donated and pinned their, their street, maybe not the exact house, but the pollster wow. code is there and there are, there are thousands of people, like their name and how much they donated. Wow, uh, that's not cool. No, <laughs> that's not cool at all. So, uh, thanks for the call, Rush. Uh, we have Rich on the line. Rich, go ahead.
6: Hey, Paul, Hey, Brittany. Um, yeah, just adding on to what you just said there. That is that is not cool. I, politicizing things like that. I I think with Terry Fro- Fox, um, yeah, it it got taken out of context really quick. I think defacing or vandalism. Has malicious intent to be vandalism, and I don't think this had malicious intent. intent just the same as uh, people posted the, uh, the the rainbow flag, right? There, there was no malicious intent there. It's not vandalism. The the people that were there felt strongly that you know Terry Fox is Canadian; he should have the Canadian flag, and maybe they thought, you know, what he was for further research. He wasn't. He wasn't happy with the status quo of of the medicine and research that was there. That that's the way I look at it is, you know, somebody that put that on did not have malicious intent, but it got swung swung that direction very quickly.
4: Yeah. Um, I, I had, and it, it,
6: it became political. It just became a political battle back and forth just to try to cancel the other person. I think it was, it's, it was a disgusting display on both sides, but to take it out of context and say, this was maliciously done was wrong.
0: I had not thought of that before. You know, was was the intent malicious? And I think I, I think he's right. Right in, in in both cases, what we saw in Ottawa and the other examples that have popped up, you know, in response to that, none of this was malicious. And so it, maybe it's not considered vandalism. Maybe maybe you do consider it's vandalism. I don't know. 519, 570, 2545, out of town one eight hundred. 570, 5715, and Star 570, hands free. We have Dylan on the line. Dylan, go ahead.
12: Hi, uh yeah. The uh, the left has politicized this Terry Fox statue in order to push their agenda. Um, nothing was the, the statue wasn't damaged uh, once once it was found out that people were bothered by the signs and hat being put on it. it they, they were t- by the protests by the protesters. Either end of the spectrum that you're on regarding this protest, uh, people should be very, very worried about our government and the tyranny that that they've brought on uh, due to this protest. People are in jail today for protesting. People's bank accounts are frozen today for protesting. No one got hurt in any of these protests. No guns were fired. No rocks were thrown. This was a peaceful protest. And we now live under the Emergencies Act. That takes all of your rights away. My rights, your rights, your neighbor's rights. People got to realize we are now living under a tyranny, tyranny, tyranny government. Like, it, it blows my mind that people aren't up in arms over what this government is doing to shut down conversation. It, it is crazy.
0: I th- I think people are up in arms to a certain extent. I mean, I I... You know, I consume news content and even listen to some radio talk shows from all around North America. People are talking about this. Uh, you know, YouTubers I watch in the in the states or radio talk shows. Normally, it's all about the United States, but they're talking a lot about what has been happening in Ottawa. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think maybe some of this is. Maybe on the international stage, I was thinking about this this morning, being overshadowed a little bit by what's happening in U- Ukraine. But I, there are international headlines about what's happening uh, in Ottawa the last couple of weeks. People are noticing it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the long run. Uh, back to the phones. Scott, go ahead.
12: Yeah, I didn't catch her whole uh, conversation. But the
8: one part that I even just from the replay that was done was how part of the thing with the Terry Fox statue was the, you know, had never been politicized that way. You look at all other, um, you know, if you want to take statues or other things that have been done, there's been points or facts that have been used with that. And that's why it was done, but there was nothing really spoken about as to why, you know, you want to say that that the Terry Fox statue was used. And that's why I think a lot of people took, and I'll use the term, offense to that. Uh-huh. Um, but when you look at other situations, it's all in how, you know, it goes the same with statistics. It's how you want to read the statistics or how you want to read the facts of what was done. I don't want to get into a whole discussion on other people. But, you know, a quick fact that I make is that when people talk about this, is you take Sir John A., of what was... The residential school was was terrible but there's all the other all the other parts of how he grew and you know increased canada you talk about the rail cars that he was taken out to that, that parliament wanted to stop sending out west to the indigenous reserves and he was the one that forced it through through a veto so it depends on what what tactics you wanted you want to pick at and with the terry fox thing, there was nothing that was just it was used and it was dressed and there was no statement as to why and it was, to me, it was used more as a wedge to make more of a, to, you know, to be used that way.
0: Uh, interesting point, Scott. We got a couple of calls. We just have not had a time. You never know when the phone lines are going to ring, right? So thank you very much for calling. I mean, maybe maybe we'll address this a little bit later on in the show. We'll see how much time we have. We do got to get to the news now with Aaron Anderson. Now, coming up, I'm looking forward to this, there is a... Documentary coming out that's going to be screened next month at the Princess Cinemas in Uptown Waterloo about the history of KW's music scene. Now, not local music, but big names played KW back in the 60s and 70s. Names that you wouldn't have expected would have come through KW because they were that big. So we'll talk about that coming up after the news. This is Kitchener Today with the producers, producer Paulie and Brittany. On City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. The producers, myself, producer Paulie and producer Brittany sitting in... With you this week. We're halfway done. We're halfway there for this. What day is this? Wednesday. Wednesday. Mm -hmm. The holiday on Monday messed everybody up. I keep thinking it's Tuesday.
2: I think we need more three-day weekends.
0: Yes. Get somebody on the show tomorrow to talk about making every weekend a three-day weekend. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Well, Kitchener-Waterloo has a history of rock Music And local filmmakers want to inspire a rock and roll renaissance of live music in a post-pandemic world with a new documentary, which is going to be screened next month at the Princess Cinemas. The documentary is called Rock This Town. And Betty Ann Keller, who is a producer on the film, joins us now. Betty Ann, how are you? Hi, hi, good. Good. So, obvious question, why did you decide to make this documentary?
15: <laughs> I've been involved in um, music in some capacity all my working life, and um, in the 70s I, um, I was partnering with concert productions and Donald K. Donald to bring a lot of big acts to the auditorium and the center and the square, and I have the distinction of presenting Ozzy Osbourne at the Centre in the Square. A lot of people might remember that concert. Um, So time goes by, and uh, I went to work for the City of Waterloo and did a few other jobs, and in 2013 I retired and thought it would be an interesting exercise to research who played here at what time, because there's a lot of discussion about... um, uh, dates like the Led Zeppelin show, for example, is the stuff of legend in 1969. And if I counted up all the people who claimed to have been there, it would have been a lot more than the 400 people who actually were. Yeah,
0: everybody <laughs> says they were at the uh, at the 1992 World or 1993 World Series home run, right? <laughs> exactly. When Joe Carter hit, everybody was there.
15: <laughs> and then in in uh, 2019, of course, we had the pandemic, and I watched the uh, community sort of shrivel up. And we lost venues, we lost the uh, Rhapsody Barrel Bar. Um, And it just really disturbed me that that we had this huge history of rock and roll in the 60s and 70s. And it looked like we were going to lose a lot of ground because of the pandemic. And a lot of my friends are having trouble finding work. And So I thought, okay, I think a lot of the people who came to work in the tech sector in Waterloo Region in the last few years honestly have no idea that this history exists. And we're constantly trying to prove how cool we are in Kitchener-Waterloo to the the new workers who insist on going back to Toronto for their entertainment. Um, So my goal is to tell the story of the music of the 60s and 70s from a business perspective and who are who were the entrepreneurs then what were their experiences What were their attributes that made them successful and made them want to continue? What was their motivation? And about two-thirds of the film is devoted to that history. And then the last third of the film really gets into the changes that have happened in the music business, how challenging it is for musicians to make money. But you know what? We've got such a strong foundation of uh, the importance of live music. And I think of the success of the jazz room, um, I think of the fact that we have a fully employed KW Symphony Orchestra, which is an amazing achievement in Canada, and all of that tells me that there there's value in continuing to support the live music scene. And you know what? When I was doing shows, I was remembering this while I was waiting for you to come on the line. 570 Chime at the time was like a first stop, no matter what show I was doing. And there were a lot of people who actually thought Chime promoted and presented all those concerts because I was always in some sort of a partnership arrangement with the radio station. Dave Schneider, who is now on City of Kitchener Council, was my go-to person. And um, so I have fond memories of riding the elevator up to the 14th floor at the, the corner of King and Water Street to make a deal. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm hoping the film will do well. And I've got to tell you, the tickets are selling really well. And who buys a ticket for a movie a month ahead? Well, lots of people, apparently, yeah. because we're selling a lot of tickets for... The shows we have Thursday night, the 24th, and then matinees on Saturday and Sunday. And fingers crossed, if we do well, we'll be adding dates.
0: Oh, that's great to hear.
15: Princess Cinema,
0: yeah. So, I mean, we're we're talking some huge names that came through, uh, you know, KW back in the 60s and 70s. Chuck Berry, Kiss, Led Zeppelin. How how did these, these huge acts... Get attracted to KW because normally they would have skipped right over us. I think uh, it
15: was all about the relationships. Um, Joe Risha and later me, we made uh, a, we made kind of friendships or working relationships with the agents out of the major centers. And as I said, we partnered with. Um, CPI out of Toronto and Donald K. Donald out of Montreal for big tours, like Alice Cooper, for example, played the auditorium in a partnership arrangement um, where we were the mid-sized market, and Toronto and Montreal were included in the show, and they could make a deal with these major touring acts because they could include people like me and Kitchener, Right. Um, and there were a lot of secondary markets across Canada that were in, involved in those transactions at that time. So that made a big difference for sure.
0: Now, I mean, you know, you might be thinking, okay, these acts all played the the auditorium, and certainly some of them did, but I was surprised. Now, I've just seen the trailer of the movie so far. I really do want to see the whole thing. Well, I hope but you will. The, the trailer suggests that a lot of these acts played small venues like the University of Waterloo and Laurier.
15: Yeah, as a matter of fact, that that was the foundation. What I like to say, and I think it's true, is that those two universities and the community college are often recognized uh, for contributing to this spirit of the barn raiser or or innovation in uh, Waterloo Region. But the music scene that came out of the universities is another example of risk-taking. And it um, it was students saying... You know, we're collecting this student fee, and let's subsidize a bunch of rock concerts. And so the prices are, like, stupid when you look at the old ads. You know, $2 to see Cat Stevens or um, some other amazing big act. Uh, and it was because the student fees were being applied. And the the task was to book the talent and pay what the the artist fees were. Um You know, the people who did the booking at the universities are interviewed in my film. Joe Risha was... Uh, an engineer in the class of 1968 when he started running dances uh, denise donlin and gary stewart are both people who took on the programmer jobs at the university and they're both interviewed in the film um, we were thrilled to get denise because she she went from her gig at the university of waterloo on to become a major figure at much music she was in artist management she was the president of sony music canada and finished her career as part of the CBC senior team. So this is a major player and a woman in the music business, and we were thrilled that she gave us um, a beautiful interview in her back garden in Toronto. And um, she has lots to say about the nature of the music business in Canada and what's needed for cities like Kitchener to become live music centres again.
0: Now, in the film, you touch on... I was really shocked. I'm a big fan of Elton John. Cool. He played at the University of Waterloo. And is, did I get this right, that he was booked in at the University of Waterloo, and then he made it huge between the time of the booking and the time of the show?
4: That's
15: right. And so, that, that's a, that is a good example of how um, Joe had forged a relationship with an agent in New York who... Um, was going to play Elton at the big club in Los Angeles to his breakthrough date, really, for North America. But the artist was nervous. And so because Joe had a working relationship with the manager, or the agent, rather, um, Elton played the pub for a week at the University of Waterloo.
14: A week? Yeah. Wow.
15: (laughs) And, of course, you couldn't get near the place because by the time he he was playing the... um, the, the song was out, the big song. So, um, it's a, it's a good story. And Joe goes on to tell the story of how, um, later when Elton got, uh, very successful, and there was a pinball machine designed to recognize Elton John, Captain mm-hmm. Fantastic. And by then, Joe was in the pinball business. And when Elton John played Toronto, and said, hey, I'd like a pinball machine for my dressing room. And Michael Cole, the promoter, said, I don't know, where am I going to get you? Elton said, call Joe and Kitchener. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, anyway, that's one of the stories that Joe tells in the film. And I I won't steal the punchline, but um, it's it's all about relationships. And if it, it's like any other business. You know, it's who you know, and you forge strength strengthen relationships with the people who can help you and that you can help them. And that's how uh, that's how it happens.
0: Now, was Lulu's mentioned at all in the film? They, they hosted a lot of live music back in the day, didn't they not?
15: They did, and we didn't touch on Lulu's. Um, I have, um, there's no particular reason. Mm-hmm. It's just that what we were looking for in the film was some kind of um, analysis of what motivates people to get involved in the music business. And I think of um, people like Paul Maxwell right now, for mm-hmm. example, who's got that big property on University Avenue mm-hmm. that he's paying rent. And, you know, what keeps him going in the in the middle of um, uh, these difficult times is is a really interesting question to me. And it's going to be the secret to whatever happens next in uh, 2023 and beyond. I'm excited about the festivals this summer, actually, Mm -hmm. because free music outside kind of feels like the way back from not being able to sit in the concert hall, right?
0: Now, one of the things, I guess, in terms of big acts today that are touring around. One of the things about Waterloo Region, I, I feel, is we don't have a venue that would be big enough to attract some of these artists. You know, they play London, and then they'll skip right over us and go to Toronto. Do you think maybe a larger venue might attract some big acts that are touring today?
15: Well, I'm kind of hoping that this discussion around the Kitchener Auditorium is going to bear fruit. Um, there was a news item um, I don't know, a couple months ago about building a new auditorium right downtown on um, where the bus depot used to be, and it's been decommissioned now as a Mm -hmm. bus depot. But make it bigger, put it right downtown, build lots of parking. I'm not sure if that's the right decision, but the idea of expanding the capacity at the auditorium makes total sense to me. Um, I think the secret is of, of... a variety of options. You know, there's a beautiful 500-seater at the University of Waterloo Theatre of the Arts. There's a 700-seater, the Humanities Theatre also there. Mm -hmm. Theatre Auditorium at um, Wilfrid Laurier is 1,500. Centre in the Square is 2,000. The Auditorium is 6,000. And frankly, with the technology that exists today, the sound in the Auditorium can be better and has been better. I saw Dylan there. Not long ago, and he sounded pretty good actually, so. The, I can't say the same for that Led Zeppelin concert in
0: 1969. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you touch just a little bit on the actual production of the film? Because, again, just based on the trailer that I've seen, this thing looks really well produced. Like, I, It looks like it was produced in a multi-million dollar Hollywood studio. It was the production produced, <laughs> value is fantastic.
15: <laughs> Thank you for that. And I have to give credit to um, the Metamedia team, Paul Campbell and Tom Knowlton, have just been genius to work with and when I conceptualized the film, I immediately sought them out because I saw what they had done with a film for the Blues Festival and I've seen some other um, work that they've done with, you know, in Africa and other countries. What I like about Paul and Tom, besides their creative genius, is, um, is their community orientation they totally got what I was trying to do. You know, like, nobody's Mm -hmm. getting rich off this film. And the purpose of uh, producing it is to try to, as you said in your introduction, stimulate a community discourse about um, how we can make a renaissance of live music happen in Kitchener-Waterloo. So nobody's getting rich, but the quality of the film is superb. and. I'm thrilled with the results. When when we started, I had this idea that we'd have like 30 minutes of interviews with maybe a little music.
4: Mm-hmm.
15: And then we interviewed Denise Donlan <laughs> 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 and we realized that we had to take it to 60 minutes and and really tell the story in a robust way. So what we have is a film that's 60 minutes long. And, um, as I said, two-thirds focuses on the history of um, how live music kind of rose up from the ground in our community. And then the last third is dedicated to, okay, what next? And Matt Weidegger, who is a a local musician who, believe it or not, is not yet 30 years old, Mm and is fiercely independent and determined to make a career as a live musician. And frankly, that's my dream, is that somebody like Matt can be born and raised here and feel that there's enough of a scene for him to stay in this place. And I think of Danny Michelle, for example, who is a huge success story Mm -hmm. um, that came out of this community. Alicia Brilla is doing wonderfully in her career. and the the as I said, the festival scene is so lively here that those kinds of activities really make it possible for musicians to stay in this community and make and make a decent living.
0: How can people get tickets for this? They're going to sell out fast, I can tell.
15: It's um, through the box office system at the Princess Cinemas. So it starts at the Prince's Twin on Mm -hmm. um, Thursday, March 24th, and there's uh, two matinees on the Saturday and Sunday, the 26th and 27th. And fingers crossed that we do sell out and we can add dates.
0: That's great. Betty Ann, really appreciate your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Betty Ann Keller is producer of an upcoming film called Rock This Town. Again, as she mentioned, going to be playing at the uh, Princess Cinemas uh, March 24th, 26th, and 27th. Maybe they'll add more shows. Uh, a movie about the, the, the history that not a lot of people know about here in Waterloo Region. A lot of the really big acts that came through here in the 60s and 70s. Chuck Berry, Kiss, Led Zeppelin uh many 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 more and uh i'm looking for brittany does this film sound interesting to you
2: yeah i had no idea that some of these like, big acts came here.
0: Yeah, I had no idea. And when I uh, I saw this article in the record over the weekend, I'm like, all right. I just kind of read the headline. I'm like, all right, they're going to be talking about some of the local you know, music scene, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some of the venues that aren't around anymore, mm-hmm. like, you know, like Mrs. Robinson's or the circus room or whatever. And then I I I, I watched this trailer. and I'm like, holy moly. Yeah, Led and
2: zeppelin like kw and such an inter- interesting little tidbit there about Elton John too yeah. right like yeah and i i didn't ask uh, uh
0: i didn't ask Betty Ann about this but i guess Elton because well, he's from europe was afraid because this is just when he was getting big for some reason he was reluctant to start playing in north america i I didn't ask her why that is. Maybe it's in the film. But uh, really interesting looking film. And again, based on the trailer, it's really, really well produced. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's probably going to be the next movie theater, the next movie I'm going to see in the theater. We do have a couple of calls on the line. Chris, go ahead.
16: That movie sounds absolutely fantastic. Doesn't it? Yes. No. I mean, we, I don't, so Kitchener was obviously a lot smaller back then. Uh What was it that brought people to the small town? Because now, I mean, we're going on over half a million people with Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge all together. Uh Why are the big acts skipping us? Like, I got, three years ago, just before the lockdown, I got to see Brian Adams for my 40th.
4: Yeah.
16: That was fantastic. But, like, um, we just bought tickets to see uh, Slash in Windsor. Uh Mm-hmm. But, he got he got, he canceled because of what's happening in COVID. But why are why aren't these big acts like the auditorium? Now that they've been expanded, should mm-hmm. be large enough of a venue. And I'm telling you, no matter what seat you you have in that venue, it's close enough.
0: There's no bad seat at the odd. That's you're absolutely right. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, because you look at the the arena in London, and I can't remember what it's called now. I think they changed the name of it a couple of years ago. I think that place sells uh, or seats 18,000 people. So uh, the big acts are attracted to that. But uh, I would like to see some some bigger acts come here in the Waterloo Region. Again, like, we're over half a million people now. So, uh, <laughs> but it was very cool. I, I guess the concert promoters, uh, our guest Betty Ann, uh, you know, touched on it. The promoters knew what they were doing, and they they knew they knew people mm-hmm. in other markets who were able to get these acts in. Uh, My people to will call Elton John's That's, people. That, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mark, go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, Paul and Brick. I've got an old one for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was either 1974
10: or 75. And, Britt, you're going to like this one. It was the little town of Stratford. <laughs> and it was a very small venue. I'm not kidding. There was probably about 200 people there. I can't remember the name of the hotel or uh, where they played. But anyway, Rush in
8: 74, they just came out with their first album, played in Stratford, 200 fans.
0: 200 wow. fans. That's it, right. eh? Yeah, it was, I, I remember it. It was awesome. Is this before they made it really big? Oh, absolutely. They just came out with their first album, Paul. Right. Oh, right. Okay. I'm too young to remember that, but (laughs) (laughs) thanks for the memory, though, Mark. Okay. And, Brent, if you can
11: look
13: that up, maybe, um, I'm sure you can find it on the Internet. Find out uh, which hotel or what venue they played.
0: I will and look it up, and I'll tell you after the break. Yeah, we're going to take a break here. Maybe <laughs> Brittany will have an answer for you. This is Kitchener Today with the producers, Paulie and Brittany, on City News 570. All right. my uh, My wife, Marnie, is all over me now. She heard that previous interview. What? Why haven't you bought tickets for this? Well, I think she's doing it right now <laughs> as we speak because she's interested in that too. So very, very cool. Betty Ann Keller joined us again. The film is called Rock This Town. About music in KW. All the big bands that came through in the 60s and 70s. You can get tickets for that at princesscinemas.com. The film screens in late March. We got to go to the news. I'm back. We're going to talk about where are all the potato chips. We're going to get to the bottom of this next Kitchener Today with the producers, Pauly and Brittany, City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. The producers in with you this week, producer Pauly, that's me, and producer Brittany. That's me. That's (laughs) awesome. Okay, so Apparently chips missing chips are a thing. Now I I haven't noticed this yet. I don't think I've been into a Loblaw's really at the grocery store since this mm-hmm. started or maybe maybe I just haven't been in the chip aisle.
2: But there oh is Oh my gosh, Polly, that's the first aisle I go to <laughs> is the chip aisle.
0: See, I, I like the the sweet snacks as opposed to I'm always oh, okay. going for like the uh, you know the little candies in a mm-hmm. bag, you know those little Rolo bite Twits, mm-hmm. bite things. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, apparently there is a dispute between the PepsiCo company and the um, Loblaws. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out if this is more than just chips because PepsiCo makes all sorts of different products. And uh, yeah, so Janet Music is on the line to talk to us about it. Janet, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Now, I I was reading this article. I I always assumed that retailers were, whether it's food or clothing or whatever, that retailers were free to set their own prices, but that's that's not always the case?
1: Well, it's, you know, the, the supply chain is complicated here in Canada, and, and I think a lot of people don't really understand how it works. I think... You know, we have a good uh, grasp of envisioning, you know, the potato grows in the ground, it gets shipped to the manufacturer, it gets made into a potato chip, and then it's sent to the store, and then what happens? So, essentially, what we're seeing here is that, you know, PepsiCo, who produces the potato chips, uh, you know, they do sell to uh, to the retailer, in this case, Loblaws, but they agree on a price beforehand, both a wholesale price, and a retail price. And in this case, they couldn't come to an agreement. And so what we're seeing then is Frito-Lay stop selling their potato chips in the retailer.
0: Now, I I guess the the food industry, I didn't know this, is is different than other industries where sometimes the suppliers will pay the clients to uh, put the product on the shelf. Is that right?
1: That's right. It's the list price. That's right. And so this, you know, we could spend, you know, many hours talking about this, but I think, you know, this boils down to there are only really five large grocery retailers in Canada. And so we see, you know, different kind of brands, so No Frills or Loblaws, theirs, Sobeys, etc. But really, there are only five kind of parent companies and when you have such a small amount of companies they have a lot of power and so they can kind of dictate how business runs and in this case when it when we're talking about food and i know we're talking about potato chips but food in general well that's really important to most of us as consumers not many of us can go very long without eating so you know this is why this is is an important issue that we should be paying attention to
0: Now, of course, as we mentioned, PepsiCo makes all sorts of different products, not just chips. Does this, is this affecting their entire line or is it just a potato chip thing?
1: So as far as we know right now, it's the potato chips. Um, but again, this could be the canary in the coal mine. And, you know, we've been spending months talking about supply chain issues due to weather and, and COVID-19 and labour shortages and how that affects consumers at, at the grocery counter. And now we're starting to see it now, you know, play out for producers uh, at retail. And so just like you and I are seeing increased, uh, you know, product prices like meat bacon and pork, you know, eggs, etc., we're seeing manufacturers having to deal with inflation as well, and so their inputs are, are rising in costs as well. Power, energy costs, shipping costs, they're affected as well, and so now we're seeing this kind of play out at the manufacturing uh, you know, stage.
0: Now, are, are the competitors of PepsiCo, are, are they experiencing any sort of these disputes at all? So far, we're just talking about
1: PepsiCo, but... You know, let's keep in mind that that Frito Lay actually, uh, even though they're a multinational company, they produce in Canada with Canadian goods. And so we're talking about potatoes grown here in Canada, manufacturing plants. of potato chips, Lay's potato chips, are produced here in Canada. There's a plant here in Nova Scotia, and they're shipped within the country. Uh, you know, by Canadian truckers. And so we're not talking about an international company coming in here and picking on, you know, a Canadian retailer. We're talking about a Canadian company. And so it has repercussions for people who work in this industry for Canadians.
2: Janet, uh, with this whole dispute going on, um, some may say, you know what, let's do without PepsiCo. We don't need Frito-Lay. What are your thoughts on that?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, the people who work for Frito-Lay certainly need Frito-Lay, right? And so we don't want to get into a situation where we're, you know, we're kind of allowing for a small group of companies to dictate to manufacturers what what they can sell uh, you know for a region, reasonable margin here in Canada like i said a lot of people are employed including farmers who grow those potatoes here and it will have uh, effects on communities and i don't know how this is going to play out it's we're watching it closely it's very interesting but what happens when it's not potato chips what happens when it's like cheese or or dairy product or some kind of you know, fruit or vegetable, Uh, you know, then we're going to be talking about things that are really impactful to our diet.
2: Yeah. Now, is it possible that Loblaws will come back and say, you know what, fine, we'll increase our prices? And if that does happen, will we see, you know, other companies coming forward saying, okay, well, if, you know, they're asking you to increase the prices, can you increase the price on our product too?
1: Yes. Absolutely, we could see that happening. But, you know, we have to keep in mind that Loblaws actually has a house brand of potato chips that are are delicious. And so, you know, they're they're kind of a competitor for Lay's potato chips. So, they're in a kind of a unique position because they understand what some of the costs that Frito-Lay may have or some of the increases they have, but you know, there is no one company that hasn't been affected by the price of gas or the exchange rate or even just impacted like we all have been by weather patterns. And so it remains to be seen what's going to be, you know, in the future, if more companies are going to kind of take this hard line, whether or not Loblaws blinks, and I don't, we don't know what they'll do. But I do think that this is an important kind of segue into this broader conversation about having a grocery code of conduct here in Canada, which would. Which would mediate or codify some of these uh, issues that we're seeing between manufacturers and retailers, so that the consumer doesn't get lost in the shuffle.
0: Now, uh, Janet, as you mentioned, uh, you know the cost of everything is going up. Uh, how come it, Loblaws is the one that everybody's pointing their finger at? Are, could it, is it only them?
1: So uh, you know. It, it's hard to know what goes on in the boardroom, right? And so we don't we don't know some of those kind of details. It's them right now. So will it be them in the future? I don't know. It could be Walmart as well. They have significant buying power. Uh, but like I said, they also have their own brand of potato chips. So they're not uh, without full information in this conversation and in a way that maybe we don't have. And so... You know, if Loblaws, you know, ends up raising their prices, then I—that's the way it's probably going to go with the rest of the retailers because they're so small. They tend to kind of group together when it comes to
9: prices.
0: Now, the shelves, I'm guessing, will not literally remain empty. That 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 shelf space is going is most likely going to be filled with something, right?
1: Oh yes, absolutely. And so we're seeing pictures on Twitter now of you know i the house brand ha, the no frills for example the chip bag is yellow and so when you look at the chip aisle the whole the whole aisle is just glowing yellow um because they they already have chips that they've manufactured so people don't have to go without their fix and of course lay's is available in other other locations um so i don't think we're going to that's not going to be a product, we'll still be able to get potato chips here in Canada. It'll be interesting to see how PepsiCo reacts to this, though. I know, you know, we've been talking about this kind of, you know, a manufacturer drives it to the retailer and then we pick it up and bring it home. Is there a market for PepsiCo to just sell chips and cut out the middleman, just sell directly to Canadians? I don't know if, if that would be cost effective for them. So a company like Amazon is is, uh, is fascinating because they're able to kind of get that retail business uh, in shipping because they have their own. But I don't know if the margins are there to ship from the plant right to your door. It would be a very expensive endeavor.
2: Uh, Janet, a, a question not necessarily entirely about chips, but Where, where do we go from here? Like, how do we get either prices to drop or, um, just, yeah, where do we go from here?
1: Like I said, there really needs to be a code of conduct for grocery here in Canada. Other countries have them, um, and they're codified. They're they're backed up by regulation. And what it would do is probably smooth out some of these tensions that we're seeing that are, are really brought on by inflation uh, as the whole context, right? So, you know, having something like that so that it, things are predictable and consumers are not, you know, kind of hit with these, uh, you know, I know... It's been described as violent kind of increases in prices. I don't know if I would use that terminology, but certainly it has been used. But I, I think that would be one of those solutions. They have been talking about it in Ottawa. It has come up. It's on the table. And now we just need to kind of push it over the goal line, so to
0: speak. Jenna, do we know how long this might last for?
1: Hopefully sooner than later. I know, you know, people, it's interesting to see the reaction to potato chips. I know people are like, well, we don't need those. And other people are like, I need those. (laughs) Um, You know, and it's it's a comfort food. And and we we use it when we celebrate things. Potato chips are right there on the table for sporting events and birthdays and, and staff parties. And so... You know, whether or not we need them for our health, you know, that is a question for another expert. But certainly we enjoy them and, you know, everything in moderation. And so, you know, we want to see this resolved sooner than later so that people, you know, don't have this one more thing to worry about when they go to
9: the grocery store.
0: Janet, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Janet Music is a research associate at the Anchor Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. So we're trying to get to the bottom of um the, the potato chips. Mm-hmm. You can't get Lay's potato chips at Loblaws. So sad right now. Now it's it's as I said, I'm I'm more of a, a sweets guy, but when it comes to the the soft drinks, I I prefer Pepsi over Coke. Uh,
2: no, you couldn't be more wrong. That's,
0: Sorry, <laughs> my, my my wife and I argue about this all the time. <laughs> so, and, and and some of their other products too. I just for whatever reason, maybe they cater to people with certain taste buds, like me. I tend to prefer Pepsi products. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, although when it comes to potato chips. Uh, because because what Frito Lay is uh, is is the Pepsi brand. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Ruffles,
2: yeah, and, and, right. And, and,
0: and I mean, uh, potato chips that are that are straight, yeah, they have to be crinkled. And mm-hmm. the brand
2: we get crinkle ones that are lays though. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and Ruffles are the best ones. Come on, mm-hmm. right. So we're trying to get to the bottom of the potato chip thing. Hugh has been waiting on the line a little bit. Hugh, go ahead.
16: Hi, how are you, Polly? Good.
0: And, and Brittany. Brittany's here do, too.
16: Uh, Brittany, for me. <laughs> She's right here. <laughs> okay, you guys are doing a bang up job, and I hope you stay on permanently.
0: Ah. Whoop.
2: That's an endorsement. Thanks, Q.
16: Also,. We need some uh, more piano sol- solos from Brittany.
2: <laughs> I'm retiring from piano. All right.
16: <laughs> oh, no, Brittany, you're great. You should be a concert penis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do
0: you have a comment at all on the uh, on the chip shortage, Hugh?
16: Well, I don't eat many of them, but I like them on occasion. Right. So I'm not really hunting <laughs> for them on any... Uh, like, I like salted peanuts. That's mm-hmm. my, my
0: comfort food. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks, Hugh. Speaking of peanuts, so remember a couple of weeks ago, Mike Farwell was. Mm-hmm. Are they still in, g- in your locker? No, it's no, it's not in my locker. This. Oh, okay. So for 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 those who weren't listening that day, I Farwell gave me a nice little gift bag from Picard Peanuts for Christmas. I forgot it in my locker until two weeks ago, brought it home, and <laughs> and, and you know Farwell was yelling at me. How come you didn't even remember? Those peanuts were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like we're still eating a few different things, but it's—I can't believe I waited. For, I know. For three Just months. think,
2: you could have enjoyed them much sooner than right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's that's biggest regret of my life right now. So, I, say, the peanut—they're unbelievable. I, I think they're like, well, they're like the roasted ones, and then when you bite them, the shell—the outer shell—kind of comes off. Just amazing. Okay, whenever we talk about food, Kyle always calls. Kyle, go ahead. As long as there's ketchup on the on the shelf, right? Kyle, that's you're what I cool. Was just
5: about to say? Where's my ketchup chips, Paul? <laughs> I can't get ketchup chips in my area.
2: Oh yeah, you know? that's right. If Loblaw's doesn't sell Free delay, no ketchup chips. Because yeah, I don't yeah. think any other brands sell ketchup chips. I'm not
5: sure. Hmm. No, they're not as good though.
2: Yeah, but, well, I, the, the, find,
5: I find that like if you get the Lay's ones, they're really like they have like a lot of. Um, you know seasoning to them, but I guess like right. I guess I could go and get the popcorn seasoning and add some more to it if I really wanted to, right? would mm-hmm. hurt. So, but are we talking about the pickard chips, like the chip nuts? Is that what you're? That what you're to I want? think
0: that's what they're called. <laughs> yeah, chip nuts. They're, they're not like peanuts. I think like they're, they're, they're they don't look like a peanut, but they're kind of round. But yep. when you bite kinda, them, the I, I, the outer shell just kind of cracks off, and it's just oh, yeah, they're it's amazing. amazing. <laughs> so, you, gotta get the, you
5: gotta get the cookie dough ones.
0: Those are the best. Oh, what? The cookie dough, cookie <laughs> dough yeah, peanuts.
5: Cookie dough, chip nuts, like
2: what you had. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I have, I have hookups, so maybe I'll, uh,
5: I'll talk to some people and see I can get. You yeah. My, my people
0: will <laughs> talk to your people. Kyle. <laughs> All right.
5: You, you guys are people to call my people.
4: You got my
16: number. All, All right. right. Got <laughs> it.
0: Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. We got guy on the line. Guy, go ahead.
16: Hey, it's Keith. How are you?
0: Oh, um, sorry about that. Go ahead.
16: <laughs> no worries. So this is a lot more of a local story. Because uh, Frito-Lay, they're, they're big production facilities in Cambridge.
0: Yes. Yeah, they're, they're so, actually, mm-hmm. they've got a local connection. And so does Loblaws. They mm-hmm. both have local connections.
16: But uh, And when you're talking about Ruffles, mm-hmm. Ruffles are made by Frito-Lay also.
0: Oh, are, are they? Uh-oh. So, Frito-
16: Lays, Frito-Lay, Ruffles, it's all the same. Doritos.
0: Doritos? I love yep. Doritos. I didn't know Doritos was Frito-Lay as well. <laughs>
11: They make everything. Yeah. They do. They make it all. So. Okay. This, anyway,
0: this dispute needs to be settled now. <laughs> I am. I am pulling out all the stops. This there must end. Thank you very Polly much.
2: Holly has spoken.
0: <laughs> okay. Rudy, you're on the air. Go ahead.
13: Yeah. Hi there. Um, I was in there's the other day, and I seen a lot of the frito Lay's and um, the Lay's potato chips there at Zare's and uh, hmm. I like personally the low sodium uh, classic
2: which ones? the, the ones with the less salt oh less salt, mm-hmm. less sodium yeah. he, and,
0: uh, <laughs> Rudy was using the one. technical word for, for it, yeah. sodium
2: <laughs> That's like dipping a chip
0: alright, huh. I like it
2: with a Coca-Cola
0: yeah, Coca-Cola and, and you were at Zare's, Rudy? Yep. and you saw these? All right, oh, yeah. everybody,
2: everybody, go to your near Yes. Yeah, Stock up on free lay The mystery
0: continues. They're either there or they're not there. Hmm. Josh, go ahead. Hey, hello, Brittany and Paul. Yes.
8: Hey, uh, I just want to talk chips. I like chips. I think you guys should do a segment once a week on chips. Yes. <laughs> First of all, uh, is there anything better than an all-dressed Ruffles chip?
2: Oh, yeah, all dress are so good. You know, I
0: like regular ruffles, and I dip them in sour cream and onion dip. That's can, my favorite. I
8: can, I can meet you there, Pauly, but mm-hmm. I, I just the all-dressed, it's a Canadian thing. You can't mm-hmm. get a mistake. I like that. It, it's a combination of just a flavor overload. I'm, I'm feeling that. But yeah. now, on, I wanted to get the Kyle Ketchup Chips. Miss Vicky's has a ketchup uh, chip right now, sweet and spicy ketchup chips. Miss Vicky's. Yes. If you like ketchup chips, check it out.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet and. spicy. Those ones spicy. have been hard to find.
8: They they are hard to find. You can find them at Costco. So if you go, you get a Costco membership, mm-hmm. you, you can find them pretty readily. Uh, readily there.
2: Mm-hmm. Anyway,
0: nice talking chips with you guys today. Thank you. It's
2: a hot oh, topic. I'm gonna people, have to stop and get
0: some chips on the way home. People are calling in on the chips. <laughs> We'll try and take a call or two after the break. This is Kitchener Today with the producers in this week. Producer Paulie and Brittany on City News 570. All right, Brittany, we've made it big time in the talk radio world when we can get people to light up the phones <laughs> on potato chips. We've got just enough time for Tony. Go ahead, Tony.
10: Guys, now this is the reason why we should have the Emergency Measures Act. <laughs> <laughs>
13: New York Chips,
2: I'm going to get my spicy kitchen chips, guys. It's crazy. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, Okay, you're not fair wrong. enough. <laughs> Thank you, Tony.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, that, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And never in my life did I think we get people lighting up the phones on potato chips.
2: Listen, Holly, everybody loves their chips.
0: All right, I'm a little excited. <laughs> Coming up after the news with Aaron Anderson, we're going to talk to one of my favorite YouTubers. And we're going to be talking about rip-offs and scams when you're traveling around and how to uh, avoid some of those. So, mm-hmm. we'll be talking about that after the break. This is Kitchener Today with the producers in this week. Producer Pauly and Brittany. Kitchener Today with the producers in this week. Producer Polly and Brittany. Although, where is Brittany? She left. Oh, she's just coming in now. Come on, Brittany. All right, we're going to be talking in this half hour to one of my favorite YouTubers about travel scams, ways to get avoid, uh, ways to avoid maybe getting ripped off while you're traveling around. Now that things are opening back up, I know I'm thinking about you know taking a trip or two. I've been stuck in this country for over two years now.
2: Wouldn't it be so nice to go go, go to the sun?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we are speaking now with Mark Walters. Now, I've I've described him as an avid traveler and the creator of waltersworld.com, a travel site, also has lots of great YouTube videos up. I always want to default to Walters, but it's Walters with an O. Mark, I bet you get that a lot, eh? Walters? Uh Walters.
3: Oh, yeah, I get it all the time. A lot
11: of people think my name's just Walter. So they're like, hey, Walter. I'm like, totally fine, it's Mark Walter. So I've been called so many things over the years that I'm totally fine. Whatever you want to call me, as long as I can help them travel better, I'm happy.
0: That's great, and you definitely do that. Uh, so this is an older video of yours, but we're going to go through it here. Um, ways to avoid getting ripped off with travel scams for tourists while you're uh, touring around. So the, the first one we mentioned is taxi scams. Can you elaborate yeah, on that? So,
11: yeah. So the thing is, is, as people move towards Ubers and Lyfts and ride shares, sometimes we forget that sometimes your, a taxi is like your best bet. If you're leaving an airport, sometimes Ubers and Lyfts aren't allowed to go there. But if you travel internationally, you know the, the, the Uber and Lyfts aren't an option. So taxis are what you're going to use. But there's some, some things that could happen when you're in a taxi. You just need to be aware of. Um, one thing that in some bigger cities, especially if you've got a lot of luggage, once, I mean, I've got to say this. Most taxi drivers are 100% legit One Of course. People. Yeah, yeah. But there are, just like everywhere, there's, there's always some bad eggs out there. And there's one scam where the, you'll put all your bags in the back of the car, but when you get out, you know, you're always in a hurry. And so, like, they'll help you get the bags out of the back of the car. I'm like, okay, good. You got everything on your thing. Bye. See you later. And they take off. And you may have come with six bags, but now you only have five. And it could and it be an honest mistake or right. it could be a not-so-honest mistake. So one thing I always recommend, always be back behind the taxi when they're putting your bags in the taxi. And when it's time to get out of the taxi, you get out of the taxi and you want to make sure all the bags come out and then pay them that way. Because that kind of eliminates some of the opportunities of not, you know, not getting your bags or, or things being left behind sometimes we do leave things behind. We've all left our phones at home sometimes, or our wallet in the wrong car, you know. So, so there's honest mistakes as well. But that, that's one thing I think is really important. Also, when you're looking at um, when you're looking at your taxis, it's always a good idea to talk to your hotel or your accommodation. Ask them how much is it, should it cost around about from the airport or the train station to that bed and breakfast, uh-huh. to that hotel. Because sometimes you don't know the city. I mean, I've had people that have i I used to live in Lithuania, and and whenever I take a taxi in Vilnius, they'd be like, "Oh, you're not from here," and they go the long way around. And I, you know, I'm like, um, actually this street right here goes right where we wanted to go." You're trying to charge me triple. I'm not going to do it. Call the cops because they'll threaten to call the cops, and you're not you're not trying to pay. Uh-huh. And you can be honest if you know they rip you off. Then please do call the police. Now, one because thing. That, the, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead.
0: I was just going to say one thing that I've done. Uh some the first time I went to Vegas, someone said, just, you know, Google map the uh, you know, the airport to your hotel and just tell the cab driver, yeah, I want to go to the whatever hotel via the four seventeen. So the cab driver will think, Oh, this person knows their way around town. I better take the uh, the route that they've already asked.
11: Exactly. And that that's one thing, is being more acquainted with the city you're going to Simple things like that, like just knowing the basic highway you should be on. So you're they're, they're like, wait, they're taking the 10, and we should be on the 45. Like, there's uh-huh. things that happen that, like, really signify it. And the thing is, is that's one of the things with the competition of, of Ubers and Lyft. You, you, you know the route they're going to go because Uber and Lyft shows you the route they're going to take. You can see right away if they're going the wrong way or, or a different way. Taxi drivers sometimes know a better way to get places, but it's good to know that if, they're, if you're supposed to be going north and they're heading south, uh-huh. you can ask, hey... Yeah, and, and sometimes you don't want to cause like trouble, so sometimes you might ask a question. Oh, I thought this statue was to the north, and so does that mean we're going south or north? And sometimes it will get them back on the on the right path.
0: So once you've gotten to your hotel, there's you have to be look on the lookout for some scams at the hotel as well. Yeah, so this is one we all we all love our
11: free internet. Like internet is life, you know? And so people when you get to the hotel, especially if you have kids, this is really important. If you're having your kids use your phone or your laptop or your iPad, if you've got your bank account statements, you've got your information on there, and your kids like, Oh look, it says hotel wifi and they just click on it right away. Yeah. And they sign in. Well, here's the thing: if that's an open Wi-Fi, anything you send, if it's not encrypted, can be taken. So it could be passwords, it could be You know, bank information, you got all kinds of things. Make sure you have the right Wi-Fi signal for your hotel. Because I've seen it before where people will actually copy the Wi-Fi of the hotel. And it'll say, like, Hampton Inn, you know, Chicago. And, I mean, that's not just an example. And then I'll be like, another Hampton in Chicago. I'm like, wait, which one am I supposed to sign up with? And, And you point it out to them. Say, hey, could you show me? That's why it's really important you have the right one as opposed to just assuming that, oh, all the Wi-Fi is going to be the same, it's open, I'll just use that. you got to be very careful with that.
0: What about, uh, in regards to Wi-Fi, uh, I'm guessing checking your bank account on a Wi-Fi might not be a good idea.
11: Yeah, that's if you are going to be doing any kind of bank transactions, you'll see a lot of advertisements for what's called a VPN, virtual private network, uh-huh. and you can get that, And so everything, it's on your phone or it's on your laptop, and it basically makes everything private, so even if they are trying to, like, sneak you, you have a better chance of it not getting taken. Um, but, yeah, your bank stuff, usually, I would do that stuff at home before you go. And sometimes, of uh-huh. course, you do have to check. So make sure you're using a non-public Wi-Fi, so not just, like, at the local Starbucks. Go to someplace that's a little bit more secure.
0: Now, uh, ripoffs or uh, scams with the airline. Now, this seems to happen in Europe a lot, I think, where, you know, you think you're going to be paying, you know, you know 50 euros for a flight. And before you know it, it's 300.
11: Yeah. And, and, and we've, <laughs> it's not just in Europe anymore. If you ever fly some of the low cost airlines anywhere in the world they get you with that really great introductory like that fee. Oh, fly to Rome for 20 bucks. Fly mm-hmm. to you know Florida for $50. Go see Quebec for 25. Yeah, it's 25, but that's only one way. And then, oh, you wanted to bring it back. Well, there's another 50 bucks you know, each way. Oh, and then you wanted to stay with your family and then you got to pay more for that. And next thing you know, Sometimes those cheap airline tickets are actually more expensive than if you flew with Air Canada or, mm-hmm. or, you know, Jet West or, or Delta. So it's really good to really kind of check and see what that end price is before you book. Cause you might see you'll get a better deal with one of the major carriers. I know for me, I ended up flying to on British Airways to London a lot more often because when I do like a Ryanair, like a low cost airline to there. When I factored in the fact that they went to an airport out of town and it would take me $50, pound, like 50 $60 to get into town, I'm like, wait, that's 100 bucks more. I can just fly into like a normal airport and take the $4-pound, you know, like $6, 7 you know, subway ride into the city instead. I'm like, huh. So the cheapest advertised price is not always the cheapest cost for you to travel. That's why it's really important to kind of check your options.
0: Now, you've talked about the mustard scam or the bird poop <laughs> scam. What is that about?
11: Okay, so this is one, and, and sadly, the people that do this are, are really not nice people because they will target people that are, more, I would say, more susceptible or ones they have a better chance of getting away from if they get caught. Uh, they're talking a lot of times elderly travelers or travelers with small children. Because mm-hmm. as we all get older, it's a little hard to run after people, right? And if you've got little kids, you're worried about your little kid not running after someone. And what happens in this scam is there'll be some version of this. Something will get spilled on you, whether it's mustard, whether it's ice cream, whether, oh, there's poop, bird poop on your shoulder. That's how it starts. And some nice person will be like, oh, hey, man, you got something on your shoulder there. Let me wipe it off. And they'll be very nice, probably dressed very nicely. You won't think anything about, it. oh, it's so nice it's, this man in Spain is trying to help me when I got bird poop on me. You take your backpack off. You put your backpack down. then you put your just take your jacket off so they can clean it off. They'll help you out, and they'll give it right back to you. And they're like, hey, you have a great day. But, oh, thank you, sir. You have a great day. And then you look for your bag, and poof, it's gone. Now so just remember, you, you, mustard, bird poop, you can clean it off yourself. You don't need any help.
0: Yeah, good point. Uh there's I guess it's kind of a similar version of this where someone will ask you to hold their baby or something and then then they'll they'll walk off with maybe your bag or something. Yeah, so this is one it's it's
11: got this one was really bad probably like five, ten years ago. It's gotten a bit better, especially when when I was social distancing, people are like, I don't want anybody near me. Um but basically what happened and this happened in France, I think it's in France and Italy, where people have small children. And they're like, oh, and the kids are basically a distraction. So you pay attention to the kid and you're not paying attention to your bag or your wallet or your watch. You don't realize how fast people work. And and whether it's the baby scam or there's the petition scam where they're asking you, hey, would you please sign this petition to, you know, save the whales or get rid of nuclear war? Like stuff where like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so I'm totally for that. And while you're signing that, sometimes they literally have a fake arm holding it. And they're they're checking, like getting your wallet or they're getting your watch or they're sizing you up to let their friend down the way know that hey, back left pocket there's a there's a bump. That's where you need to go. Right. So you really want to kind of pay attention to things like that. Subway pickpockets. <laughs> How does that work? Oh yes. Okay, so, so I've got to be honest. Whenever you travel, the cheapest way to travel is public transportation. Fast, efficient. You know, um, price wise, you can't beat it. But the thing is. There's, there's people on there that are, you no, know, there's people on there. They know the tourists are going to be there. So what you'll see is when you get on or off the train or on or off the bus, that is the primo time for people to pickpocket. Because when you're getting on the train, you're thinking, Oh, I got to get on. I've got to get a spot. I've got to get a seat. And so you're not thinking about your wallet. You're not thinking about your purse. You're not thinking about, you're thinking about getting on. And when you're getting off, you're focused on getting off Oh, I got to get off here. Is there space for me? How am I going to get around that person at the door? So you're not focusing. And so if people will be standing right next to you. And we've actually caught people with their hands in our pockets. And we're like, you can take your hand out of my pocket now. <laughs> or you'll see it where they go know they get caught, and they'll drop everything. And it, all your stuff's on the floor. I mean, it's happened to my dad and the girls that did it. They're like, we didn't steal anything. Look, the stuff's on the ground. And the cops let them go. So and that's another thing. <laughs> you are getting pickpocketed in different countries. What the police do to help you varies a lot. Okay, but one thing you always do If you have travel insurance for things like this, you have to file a police report about being robbed because they will not refund your money unless you have an actual official report. So expect to lose half a day filling it out. So that might help you judge if you're going to report it or not.
0: Now, what about sympathy scams? I've even seen this one around town here from time to time. Someone will hand you a card to say, you know, I'm a deaf mute. Can you help me out or something like that?
11: yeah so this is one you will see in certain train stations when there's a little bit longer where people will hop on and they'll just come through one section of the train and they'll leave a little note that says hey and it might have a little toy it might have a little something on there like hey you know i'm deaf mute or, or whatever could you please give me some money and the thing is, is if you grab it and you take it they're like oh now give me something like, no i was just reading it they'll be kind of forceful you need to give them something Anytime someone is like thrusting something in your hand, trying to make you take something, for, you know, just say no, because that's where you start having problems. And the thing is it can be the sympathy for I'm I, you know, deaf or blind or whatever, or it could be over oh, for a cause, you know, it's like, Oh, you don't believe in our cause. This could be troublesome because what people will do is if especially when you have kids, like you'll see them tying ribbons on people or giving flowers away, like, Oh, it's a free flower. And then you take the flower, like, oh well now give us a donation. You know, I thought that was a free flower. Uh-huh. And they're like, No, no, and then they'll harass you. And then they know because people get embarrassed, they just give the money to make them go away. You just tell you just gotta be forceful and say, No, go buzz off. You know, because i there's been too many times people try to get my kids and I'm like, Get your hands off my kids. I take students around the world and I've literally had to physically get between people and my students because they're trying to like make the students give them money because they gave them a flower or something. So Always be always be wary if someone's trying to give you anything uh when you're traveling cuz you know. Yeah, something really similar happened people like, random
0: stuff. Yeah, something like that similar happened to me my wife when we were in Barbados. We're walking down the beach and this guy comes and slaps a a wrist on my uh uh or not a wrist a a bracelet on my wrist and uh, was yep. trying to convince me to buy it. <laughs> so oh, we yeah. didn't but oh, yeah. it took you, a you while for him to little, go yeah, away.
13: Jamaica as
11: well. <laughs> So with, with those, if, if they get it on you, you just take it on, say, no, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and here's the thing. It's really a place like Barbados or Jamaica where people do get really frustrated with the, like the, the street vendors and stuff, which you have to realize is that's their living. There's no social network to help them out. If they don't, if they don't sell anything, they don't have food for their family. So that's their kind of job. And so when you think of it that way, what always works for me is just to explain to them, Hey, I've already got my souvenirs from here. I really appreciate it. Respect for what you do. Thanks, mm-hmm. man. And I won't lie to you. Every single time I said that, I got a fist bump. Thanks, man. Respect. Nobody bothered me again. All right. Because they realized that, okay, you, you're not going to buy anything, but you're respectful to me. And that really went a long way. be one of my advice for that. But if they do put something on you, you take it off, give it back to them. They're like, no, no, no. Then you just drop it on the ground. If they cause any trouble you just yell, at you yell for fire or police, people will pay attention. And the cops don't like when people are doing those things to tourists because tourists bring in so much money. To a lot of these places, because you know the places where the people that do this are, are, where tourists are, because then the tourists usually bring in a lot of money, and the cops don't like when the people that are bringing in the money are getting scared away.
0: Now, speaking of police, you you have something here about police shakedowns. I, I've never <laughs> heard of this, not in North America, anyway. But well, no, no, I,
11: it's not happened to me in North America. It's happened to me in South America. It's happened to me in Eastern Europe before. Um, and the thing is, is some, sometimes it's not the shakedown like you see on TV. Sometimes it's just, uh, you know, you're going through a form and they're like, hey, uh, do you have a pen? Or do you have uh, something other? Like, yeah, well, like, thanks. And they'll just walk away. Mm-hmm. I remember going through South America, every single pen I had disappeared at the border. Because they like, oh, can oh, can I borrow another pen? And they got one for their buddy. So sometimes it's like that. Other times, um, I know when I was going through Paraguay, um, it was kind of a scam because when I went into Paraguay, I was like, I need to get a stamp because I'm from the country. They're like, no, no, you don't need a stamp. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I need a stamp. And the guy got really me, like, packed his gun. He's like, you don't need a stamp. I'm like, all oh, right, I am like right, i do not need a stamp. And so the problem was when I left the country from the other border, like, they were like, where's your stamp? How long have you been here? How did you get here? And like, we don't know how long you've been in the country. And they just started like, I was like in my early 20s. I didn't know what was going on really. And they eventually shut me down, got all my cash I had, you know, which at the time was like $24. And they're like, we don't need more. We know you're a rich tourist. I'm like, I have an ATM card. And the guy's like, do you see an ATM around here? I'm like, no. He's like, well, give me what you have. And so I gave it to him because I was scared. You know, I was like, <laughs> 21, maybe 20. And so I, I get on my bus and then I, I kind of realized they totally scanned me. Like that was all part of the thing, getting the tourists, going, a tourist by the solo tourist coming in. There'll be a solo tourist going out and therefore they can do the shakedown. I've also had it in some places where the cops have come up and they'll ask me your papers or they'll ask for it. They'll say you're doing something wrong. Oh, you jaywalked, or, or you've had too many drinks or it's too late. You're missing curfew or whatever. I've had some of those as well. And I remember one in, in Russia where I spoke a little Russian at the time and I could read a little Russian. Mm-hmm. And when they gave me like the ticket, it was basically a parking ticket just to make me think I was filling something out. So whenever any of those things kind of happen, be like, yes, please take me to the police station. You and, know, like, I don't understand what's going on. Take me to the police station. We'll talk to the embassy. And then they'll usually say, you don't want to go to the police. And when they say you don't want to go to the police station, then you know it's a shakedown.
0: Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. As I said uh, earlier, so I cool. really enjoy your videos. Uh, where are you traveling to coming up? So we've got some trips to the Caribbean. We've got uh, you're going to Puerto Rico.
11: We've got the Bahamas. We're heading over to Europe. We'll be in France, Germany, and Switzerland here in the spring. Uh, we got some more stuff here in the U.S. coming up, and hopefully we'll be up your
0: way later this year. All right. Cool. That would be very cool. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Awesome. Well, thanks for inviting me on. You'll have a great day. You too. Thank you very much. That's Mark Walters, uh, an avid traveler and creator of Walter's World or Walter's World with an O, Walter's World, and he 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 builds himself as honest travel advice, and I I really feel that when I'm watching his stuff because I, I watch a lot, you know, there's a lot of travel related stuff, Brittany, mm-hmm. on uh, YouTube, and some of these people I find it's like. I have a feeling that they're getting a discount on the hotel room in exchange for giving a, a favorable review. I never mm-hmm. feel that way with this guy. So anyway, very cool. Mark Walters, waltersworld.com, or you can just search for him on YouTube as well. Really, really cool stuff. So uh, I'm looking forward to to traveling. My wife and I are just starting now to talk about maybe making a trip to Vegas, maybe in April, We'll have to see. We'll have to see how things work out, uh, you know, holidays or whatever.
2: But, uh, yeah, are are you looking forward to going anywhere, Brittany? Oh, I would love to go everywhere. I have so many places on my bucket list, you know, like Ireland, Italy, Thailand. Like, uh, just so many cool places. I know Vegas is... Top of mind for you, but is there anywhere else that you would like to go?
0: Well, my my sister in law lives in Germany, mm-hmm. and I've never been to Germany. It's it's on my short list mm-hmm. of places I want to go to, so that will probably be coming up in the next couple of years. Maybe even maybe later this year. Who knows? <laughs> uh, we've got time for a quick call from Kyle. Kyle, go ahead. Hello.
5: Yep, I'm here. Sorry. Um, when I was a kid, actually, when we were flying back from uh, Oklahoma to Canada to visit our family for Christmas, our passports in Chicago uh, International Airport
0: got stolen. Your passport got stolen. My wow! Well, so
5: my dad, my dad had his laptop bag with my mom there, and you know my sister was like maybe like two or three years old. I was eight or nine years old, and we went off, dad and I, to go get something to eat. And my dad, my sister, and my mom were there washing all the bags, and she just must have turned around for two seconds. And the lap, his, all his work stuff, documents, the laptop, this is back in the 90s, mm-hmm. was stolen. And, and we talked to the security guard, and my dad said he remembers the security guard saying, yeah, this was pre-9-11, so anybody could buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. And what these guys do is, is they come in, and they take bags uh, on a daily basis and steal them, and then they go home, and they, that's, that's it. They just buy a plane ticket. But it's worth more to go in and pretend like you're flying on an airplane and take somebody's laptop bag and then not even you know board the airplane. Wow. Wow. So.
8: Yeah. Yep.
0: Things were definitely different pre 9 11. I only flew once pre 9 11. I can't even remember what it was like. <laughs> it was so long ago. So, we're going to uh, take a quick break here and we'll be back to wrap it up in just a few moments here on City News 570 Kitchener today. We made it through another show, Brittany. Awesome. Boom. I, uh, th- 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 that contest you did earlier was a lot With a lot I of fun. I know
2: and I have some more questions that we can ask uh, tomorrow Let's to get tomorrow. some more
0: yeah engagement. We got I got an email from the promotions department. Our phone lines are ringing off the hook. What do you mean you're doing a contest? <laughs> I'm like there's no prize. <laughs>
2: Just bragging rights. <laughs> Just,
0: I guess people were calling the main the main switchboard. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, so two down, two to go. I guess that's it. So, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, You know
2: what? I'm speechless. <laughs> it's going so well. Polly's loving it. He's going to host full time. No, no, gonna I'm not. It's going to be Kitchener today with producer
0: Polly. No, you and I will be back tomorrow. So <laughs> we sure will. Everyone have a good evening. The uh, all-news afternoons with Aaron Anderson and Luke Schultz. Mm-hmm. I think I might have teed up Paul McPhee earlier. Didn't even realize he wasn't here. Aaron Anderson and Luke Schultz are up next. They're going to take you home from 3 to 7 tonight. We're back at noon tomorrow. Have a good night. This is City News 570 and Kitchener Today.